Heavenly Father, we come to this place this morning in recognition and with great gratitude for the fact that we can come together in freedom to worship you. We recognize that our freedom came at a great price. And we thank you for the ways in which you have blessed this country with abundance, with opportunity, with freedom to practice our faith. And Lord, yet we recognize again that our country is struggling. There's so much around us that tells us that our country is in trouble. So Father, we lift up the names of our president, our vice president, our senators. Lord, all those who lead us, And we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct them. Lord, we pray for continued favor that we do not deserve. But we ask that out of your mercy, your kind-heartedness, your faithfulness, that you would continue to bless our country. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to celebrate the birth of this great nation. And we ask that you would continue to bless our country. May you, God, continue to bless America. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. How are you? Good. You're not out on your boat. You're not in your cabin. You have chosen to come to Ridgewood Church, and I am very grateful for that this morning. If you are visiting today, we are so glad that you have chosen to be here. And my name is Susie Thompson. If you've not met me, I hope to have a chance to meet you afterwards. Uh, They let me work here. I get to uh, serve as the pastor of care ministries here, and uh, it's something that I just delight to do, and I'm so glad for the privilege Pastors Paul and Pastor Neil are both taking a few days of much-needed vacation, and they decided to trust the place with me for a little bit. So, we'll see how it goes. But I am just really glad to see you all this morning. If you have been with us for the past several weeks as we've been studying in uh, the book of 1 John, you may have noticed that John has this tendency to repeat himself over and over again. Well, I have a very personal experience that's similar to that. In my own life, I grew up with a dad who loved to tell stories. Now, we got really familiar with most of his stories. You know, after 93 years, there weren't a lot of new ones. But he would always preface his stories with, now stop me if I've told you this one before. You've all had that kind of experience, haven't you? But of course, because we loved him so much and he was so enthusiastic about the way that he shared his stories, we never did stop him. We just listened with appreciation. Well, sometimes I feel like reading through 1 John is a bit like that. He keeps bringing us back to the basics of faith, which we all need to be reminded of. He does it again and again throughout this letter stressing the importance of walking in the light, of adhering to sound doctrine, and being obedient to Christ, living in unity with one another, 
out of the love that Christ has demonstrated toward us. Well, at the time that John wrote, the early church was already in trouble. You know, it doesn't take long for the church to find itself in trouble. They were experiencing some confusion, some error, and he wrote with the purpose of encouraging them to reject false teachers or antichrists and adhere to the truth. In our day and age, we need to be reminded of that as well. False prophets, false teachers then, as now, were making claims of divine inspiration, but they were not holding fast to the truth, the truth that had been passed on to them from the apostles. If you recall from our study a couple of weeks ago in 1 John chapter 2, John specifically pointed out these false teachers who had left the church. They started out in the church, they went out on their own, and began to attract followers to themselves. And as we finished up in 1 John 3 last week, John had just assured the believers that they can know Christ abides in them and they in he because of the Holy Spirit that Christ had left. And I want to remind you that that same Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That is a powerful, powerful thought. Well, that brings us up to today's text in which John is going to issue a warning or an exhortation to the believers to continually be on alert, on guard to the dangers of spiritual deception. Spiritual deception can be an issue, a problem, even for mature believers That's why we always need to go back. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? What is sound doctrine? We simply cannot believe everything that we see, everything that we hear. We have to test it. We have to develop spiritual discernment. As we go through this passage today, we're going to see that spirits come from two sources, God or Satan. Satan and his agents can influence and actually speak through the mouths of human beings, even when they claim to be speaking for God. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles, whether that's on your device or uh, the Pew Bible in front of you, to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 10. 23, and if you just follow along with me as I read. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, 
you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is greater in you, he who is greater is he, excuse me, I'm sorry, let's go back here. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, we've got six verses in front of us, and we're going to break them down into three important elements this morning. The first is, why do we need discernment? The second is, how do we develop and exercise discernment? And the third is, what are the results of discernment? Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. There is a literal spiritual war raging all around us. That spiritual war is raging against us as believers. It is invisible, but nonetheless real. Satan is a real, literal enemy who is hell-bent on destroying us, hell-bent on lulling us into complacency and leaving us susceptible to error. 2 Corinthians 4.4 refers to Satan as the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, sometimes I think as as Christians, um, we wonder, why don't people get the message? Why is it so hard for them to understand It's because Satan has blinded them. They are incapable of understanding until that veil is lifted, until they are able to see. When the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world, it's not saying that he is sovereign or that he um, has control over everything. Rather, it conveys the idea that he is a powerful influencer. We hear a lot about influencers in the world in which we live, and Satan is chief among them. He rules over the unbelieving world in very specific ways. In the case of Second Corinthians 4.4, we read that that believer is blinded or unable to see and comprehend the truth of the gospel. Satan has his own agenda for us. It includes pushing a false philosophy onto the unbelieving world, a false philosophy that blinds the unbeliever from the truth of the gospel. Satan's philosophies are the strongholds in which people become imprisoned and from which they need to be set free. Well, Satan is the god of this world, those who don't know Jesus, and he certainly has deceived millions of people. That's bad enough. But sadly, his deception doesn't end just with unbelievers. 
In 2004, a Barna research group showed that an incredible 50% of those who profess to be born-again Christians deny the existence of a literal Satan. I think that's shocking. And the scary thing about denying Satan is that if you deny that he exists, you've already dropped your guard and allowed him to bring in deception. It's the best place for him to corrupt the church at the entry point. Take the gospel. Water it down. Take the basic truth. He poisons the gospel message that has the power to bring people to Christ. Well, it's no secret that we live in a world that often calls good evil and evil good. Truth is twisted into deception, and it's believed by so many people. In Isaiah 5, 20 through 21, we read, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? The work of Satan can be really obvious in its ugliest forms, and it can also be subtle and hard to detect. In the text that we have before us today, John is rallying the church to use discernment, to be discerning. We need to learn that the teachings of any writer, pastor, speaker, author, need to be tested. Don't be fooled by the fact that somebody has multiple degrees or a charismatic personality or a polished delivery. Those things do not necessarily equate with the truth. The Gnostics of John's day held to a form of mystic religiosity that was based on secret knowledge that supposedly only they possessed. They denied the incarnation of Christ. They thought that divinity, Messiah, would never humble himself to step into a frail human body. They preached another gospel, which was actually no gospel at all. It was heretical, false teaching. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, we read, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Turn on your television, go to your news feed on any single day, and you can find a whole host of irreverent babble. Something that's labeled Christian does not necessarily guarantee truth in advertising. Heretical teachings abound in the world in which we live. They are deceiving millions of people and putting them on a spiritual trajectory that will lead them straight to hell. Stop and think about that for a minute. Millions of people 
on a trajectory that will lead them straight to hell. Mormonism teaches that Jesus is merely an exalted man from another planet, no less, and that we can become gods. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Some Christian denominations deny salvation by grace alone through faith while promoting baptism and works and social justice as the means of salvation rather than the outworking of salvation. Well, while some of those errors may seem very apparent to us as Bible-believing evangelicals, we too need to be on guard and be aware that spiritual deception can be subtle, attractive, and alluring. In Matthew 7, we're advised, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The verb tense of the word beware is an imperative. It's a command. It's an ongoing command that calls us to a state of continual spiritual awareness to those who appear harmless but are ready to devour even believers. Spiritual naivete can lead us quickly into false teaching. Paul wrote to the believers in Galatians chapter 1, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We need to learn to pay attention to the subtleties, the nuances, the doctrine of a given teacher's content. Beware of things that are mostly true, because that which appears sound or good or right or religious may simply be masquerading as truth. Here are some specific things to pay attention to. Teachings that are true, but they emphasize the wrong things. Author and pastor Ray Steadman notes that it is significant that the warning to not believe every spirit comes in the midst of of John's discourse about love. Because false spirits tend to make a great deal of the subject of love. He goes on to say, every cult, every deviant group, every false movement makes its appeal in the name of love. There are teachers in churches, on TV, on the radio, who have a pet teaching issue or doctrine, and that one thing will constitute the bulk of all that they say, all that they teach. It might be a focus on one facet of God's character, such as God's love, to the neglect of his holiness and the need for personal salvation. Some pervert or neglect biblical truth because, frankly, biblical truth makes people uncomfortable. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was an influential evangelical scholar and pastor and teacher during the 20th century, wrote, We have somehow got hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong. And we do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. Many people get caught up in that kind of thing, and there's a danger even for us. Then there's mostly true, which of course means it's not true at all. This category, closely related to the emphasis on the wrong things, has virtually destroyed some mainline denominations over the last 100 years. It began with a slippery slope downward of denying the inspiration and the inerrancy of God's word. And it's resulted in a watered-down message that says God is love. Yes, we do need to be loving. Yes, we need to meet needs around us. Yes, Jesus did that. Yes, we need to be like Jesus. Yes, that is the heart and the essence of Christianity. No, no, no. That is not the heart of the gospel. Churches and denominations that make that their emphasis are trying to bear fruit, the fruit of good works, as their primary mission. They've put the cart of good works before the horse of the good news of the gospel. Instead of preaching the truth of the gospel and allowing good works, social justice, mercy to flow out of transformed lives. God is love, and that is true. We are to meet the needs of people. Jesus surely did that. It's true. However, the first call of the gospel is to meet our spiritual need, to bridge the gap between God and sinful people like us. Its call is to lead people to repentance and salvation. The church's mandate from Christ is to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to baptize believers, and to make disciples. That is our primary mission. And then, out of lives that have been transformed by that power, love, compassion, mercy, those things will flow we can powerfully impact our community with God's love. But it has to start with the heart of the gospel. Beware of mostly true. It might be called truth with a twist. Part of the truth mistaken for the whole truth. And it's been one of Satan's most useful tools ever since the Garden of Eden. Then we have right words, wrong meanings. Some false teachers hide behind words that sound like some of the words we use right here in Ridgewood Church. They're words like blessing, evangelize, even salvation. But they can be used in words that are contrary to what Scripture teaches. Lacking discernment, we can be misled. There are many false teachings, sadly, in the Christian church today. Some of them include that believing that Christ died, that we might prosper financially. It's pretty appealing. 
that with enough faith, everyone and anyone should be healed? That homosexuality is just another alternative lifestyle? That marriage between people of the same sex is approved by God? Or that abortion is acceptable, even though it destroys the life of a living human being created in the image of God? These and other profound errors attack the very fabric of Christian faith. It's been said that error often wears the disguise of truth. Well, if that's true, then how do we know how to discern? How do we exercise discernment? What is the litmus test of spiritual truth? Theologian R.C. Sproul said, Truth is defined as that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God. Because God's perception of reality is never distorted. Indeed, we must start with God. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And having a right view of Jesus is essential in establishing a litmus test of truth. Well, what in the world is a litmus test and how does that apply in any way, shape, or form to what we're teaching today? In chemistry, it involves the use of a special paper, a little litmus strip, you've probably seen them, that is dipped into a substance to determine its acidity or alkalinity. It proves the nature of the substance. One dictionary entry defines it as a test that uses a single indicator to prompt a decision. A spiritual litmus test will prompt us to a decision. Is it truth or is it deception? Testing the spirits to see whether they are from God will prompt that decision. It's to test the nature of a teaching or a doctrine, proving whether that message or person speaks from God or the devil. To test is to compare what is being taught against the clear teaching of Scripture. In order to test the spirits, we must know how to examine the Scripture. John calls our attention to the importance of belief in God's truth. He focuses on a doctrinal test and emphasizes the need to obey sound teaching. He wants us to recognize that Satan has sought to distort and deny and destroy God's word. He is the ultimate demonic source behind every single false teaching and doctrine. The mark of orthodoxy, then, or right teaching, is a true confession about the nature, the life, and the work of Jesus. It means having an accurate view or doctrine of Christ. It means that one who speaks with the truth will confess Jesus as Savior, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father, fully man, fully God, united in one person, incarnate in human flesh, and yet without sin. Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are historical fact. To deny either the full humanity or the full deity of Christ is heresy. 
It is not Christian belief. But it is not enough to just state this belief as a historical fact. A true confession includes openly affirming and confessing what the Bible teaches about Christ. It's about confessing him as the only, only way of salvation. It involves mental assent to the facts about Christ in a heart that has personally experienced salvation by grace through faith. In 1 John 4, 3, we read that every spirit that does not confess Jesus in this way is not from God. Rather, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Every system, every church, Every religious belief that leaves Jesus out, redefines who he is, denies him as God in the flesh and as the only way of salvation, denies the true person and nature of Christ. It is demonic in nature. It is the spirit of error and the spirit of Antichrist. I don't want you to be confused about this spirit of Antichrist, which simply means against Christ. We tend to think of Antichrist as that single person who's talked so much about in the book of Revelation. That person is the final Antichrist who will be revealed. He's an incarnation of the devil. He will appear in the last days. But the Antichrist spirit lives and is active in the world today. We live in a world of increasing evil and particularly in the form of outright lies and misrepresentation about the nature and the work of Christ. There has never been such a denial of who Christ is as presented in the scripture as there is in our own day. The spirit of Antichrist uses human beings. He uses them as his mouthpiece delivering heretical false teachings that are opposed to Christ. Why does the world listen? Because the world hears what it wants to hear. We love to have our ears tickled. We love to believe what we want to believe. In 1 John 2, 22 through 23, we read, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Those who deny Jesus, his deity, that he came down from heaven, took on human flesh and died in our place, are false teachers. They have the spirit of Antichrist. What are the results of being discerning people? 1 John 4.4 reassures us with these words, Little children, you are from God. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Having received Christ by faith, we not only have eternal life, 
but the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. That should just blow your minds. The power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Because we possess the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to fall prey to the lies and the deception of Satan. Rather, we have the ability to understand truth. And while the natural man does not understand the things of God, we have the mind of Christ. God has planted his truth in us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us as our teacher and our convictor. As you walk in the Spirit, as you study and apply the truths of God's Word to your life, you will grow in discernment because you will know the truth and you can trust it. When you hear someone teaching something that doesn't sound quite right, your spiritual instincts go, wow, I don't think so. Seek out the truth in the word of God and through wise counsel and conversation with other believers. Before you accept any so-called new teaching, new revelation, be sure to ask questions. Ask questions about the teacher or the author's view of Christ, their view of salvation and their view of Scripture. If they are adding anything new to the gospel or taking anything away from it, or not teaching from the whole council of Scripture, their theology has its source in demons. They speak, and the world listens. Their ideas come from the mind of man and the pit of hell. If a teacher or pastor or speaker has a life that doesn't give evidence of humility, repentance, spiritual fruit, and submission to the word of God, beware. They do not speak from the spirit of truth. Rather, they speak from the spirit of error. Finally, the word of God produces righteousness in us. In order for it to transform it, we must study it so that we can apply it. A life of righteousness conforms to God's standards as revealed to us in the word of God. That means we must study. We must learn from godly teachers. We must grow up in our faith. We can't continue to be babies forever. And as we do that, we will grow in our ability to discern truth and error. Ephesians 4:11 through 14 talks about this saying, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The very good news for us in this passage 
is that believers can and should experience victory without fear because the indwelling Holy Spirit makes the power of God available and accessible to us so that we can recognize truth and error and not be misled by the power of deceptive spirits. We must be diligent to examine everything, hold to the essentials of the faith, use scripture as our final authority, and test the spirits. There are a lot of non-essential things about which good Bible-believing Christians may disagree. But on foundational gospel truth, we cannot compromise. We cannot tolerate any spirit of error. We need to listen with discernment, identify lies, and follow sound teaching. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, those are strong words. And I thank you, Lord, that you are always about what is best for your people. Your heart is to guard us from error, to have us walk in truth, to walk in light, so that we might manifest spiritual fruit in our own lives, fruit that is attractive and draws others to faith in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would guard our church from deception, from error, from disunity, from lies of the evil one, that we might walk and move together as one body, firmly grounded, rooted, and established in truth. Father, I do pray that if there's anyone here today that has never made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ and they need to know you as Savior first before they can even begin to make sense of all the spiritual chatter that goes on in our world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd call some to conviction, call some to salvation today. Today is the day of salvation. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts as the worship team concludes the service for us this morning. May we live and move and breathe in the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing honor and glory to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.